Morning all. Now there's a few things I've got to say. Why didn't I have a balloon, Steve? I'm going to. Because I've got, I've got some verses to find, all right? Um, look, don't bother, because I'm going to find them first. All right, can I have my smarties now? Adults always get deprived, don't they? Don't they? Yeah. You know, look at Justin there. He gets all his kids get the prizes. He he's got to pay for them. Now my wife pays them. Oh. Right. Matthew thirteen. Some wonderful verses you've given to me. I'll try and find out during the morning what they mean. But if Kevin chose these for me, then I'll deal with him later. Matthew 13, verse 31. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. Have you got the NIV up there? I better read from there then. And the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. You know, they tell me that the mustard seed was, at that time, the Bible was uh, sort of written, was the smallest seed known. Apparently no longer, but that's another thing. And it grows, apparently, into a tree. Never seen one. Big enough for birds to go in there and have a rest. And I looked at this and I thought, Jesus, whatever are you on about If you look at it just like that, what, what's it all about? And I did wonder for a long time. I still wonder, actually. But the kingdom of God can be swapped with the kingdom. Your Bible might say the kingdom of heaven. Mine, um, being the simple version, talks about the kingdom of God. And really, what, all it means is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is us. It's his bunch of people here on earth. It's the kingdom of heaven, and there's so much theological, nearly said nonsense, but theological talk about what it is, what it isn't. It is, I believe, the here and now body of Christ. You know, seeds start small. 
Well, even, but potatoes started not too big. You know, Joe put some potatoes in this year, the first time for a long time. And they've grown to monsters. I don't know what's happened to them underneath, but the tops are nearly up to 10 feet. You'll find I exaggerate a lot. <laughs> but, you know, the seed starts small, and, and it is the story of the church. You know, Jesus came to plant his church. This is what he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see and the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors. And, uh, <coughs> and that the time of the Lord's fa <coughs> favor has now come. You know, if you think about it, the seed that Jesus planted grew rapidly. He started with 12. All right, a few joined in. But the ones we read about is then suddenly on the day of Pentecost, there were 120. So 12 times 10, they increase by tenfold to 120. And then on the day of Pentecost, there was another 3,000. I can't work out what the percentage is of 120 to 3,000. Um, yeah. But what is interesting is that from then on in, and the Bible tells me that there were added to the church every day more people. And we don't know how many that, that was. And it's still happening, believe it or not. We sometimes think that God is no longer at work. But if you go on to um, computers, you know, those things that everybody operates except me, but and Google Reading Revival, you will find on there that last year, and I haven't got the up-to-date figures for this year, but last year in seven weeks, 1,900 people trusted the Lord. A group of came over for three weeks from the state, and they taught the people how to go out onto the streets. Just a simple way of speaking to them. And suddenly, and do you know what? The best evangelist amongst all the... And this is 14 churches in Reading. The best evangelist amongst everybody was an 11-year-old girl that in seven weeks led 84 people to the Lord. She started in school and she went around the streets as well. You know, to grow the seeds need plenty of, of good soil and plenty of rain and, and be intended to. You know, it's no good actually taking the seed out every day to make sure it's growing. Um, I don't think that would work. It'll soon be time for me to check the potatoes um, to see if they've got any bigger than when I... Well, when Joe... I must be careful here. When Joe put them in, because I ain't a um, gardener. But, you know, Jesus invested in 12... Well, I can't think of anything other word than misfits... If you look at the, the, the disciples, 
And somebody did this once, you know, that assessed the whole characters of these guys. And the only person that he would have picked would have been Judas Iscariot. The rest were all misfits. And, you know, they, they fought amongst themselves. They argued. And when it came to the crunch, they ran away. And you, but after Jesus went, I tell you, you know, this is an interesting day today. It is post-Pentecost. I don't know how you enjoyed last, year, last week as Pentecost. But I've often wondered what it was like a week later. What they were doing. 3,000 had been saved on the day of Pentecost. And somehow or other, the 120 had to deal with them. Um, we, were, we had a great time. Oh, I must tell you about this. We had a great time last Sunday <coughs> in Exmouth. Uh, it rained, as it does sometimes in Exmouth. But we'd arrange a Pentecost picnic in the grounds of Holy Trinity Church in the middle of Exmouth for Christians together in Exmouth. We were going to have a ball. We were going to have fun. We, had a, um, we were going to take our picnic and we were going to have a, uh, a worship group and we were going to have some fun and games. And it rained. So we went indoors. I don't think Holy Trinity Exmouth have ever experienced it before, but we took our food indoors, we took the band indoors, we took ourselves indoors, and we had our fun. And one of the things we did um, was that we had an A4 sheet of paper and wrote a prayer on, because don't forget that Pentecost Sunday came at the end of that 10-day period of Thy Kingdom Come which was praying globally, praying indeed just that, that the kingdom of God would come in power. And so you wrote your prayer on there, and then you made your paper aeroplane. You remember, Justin, the ones that you used to make and throw when you shouldn't do. Yeah, we did that. But everybody made their plane, and it was incredible. I stood at the back and saw these planes flying across Holy Trinity Church. It had never happened before. I don't know whether it'll happen again, but it was fun. It was fun. Actually, the adults had more fun than the kids. It's usual. You know, it's like children's talk at church. Adults enjoy it far more than the kids, I can tell you that. But we had a great time, and here we are a week later. You know, they, were, they had experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that had never happened before. And a week later, did they go flat? I don't think so. They were still experiencing that. But you know, everything starts in a small way, like that small seed. And any move of God, if, you, if you're able to read about it, starts very small. If you talk, read about John Wesley, he didn't have many around him. But there wasn't long before he had thousands listening to him in the open air. And when the revival came to Wales back in 1904, I think, I, I, I can't quite remember it, but um, that was one person that had decided to seek God. But if you then move on a bit to the Isle of Lewis in the, uh, 1949 to 1953, 
There was just, they all say there were two ladies or three ladies. Actually, guys, there were blokes as well, all right? So don't let them get away with it. But it wasn't many. Joe and I have been to the village where they were praying, and the presence of God is still, you still feel it. But these people were praying and praying and praying, and suddenly God released his Holy Spirit onto those islands, and people were convicted of sin, and they were brought to the Lord in, uh, in their hundreds. And these were people that actually went to church because it's a very um, church place, the Isle of Lewis. And uh, you could go on Azusa Street in, in when the Pentecostal movement started. It was just a few. Actually, ladies, it was a few ladies again that were praying. And there was, I read a story about Pasadena, which is just outside, apparently, Los Angeles. And... Uh, there's a guy, the book that I was reading, he moved to Pasadena because God told him that he was going to start a church there. And so he bought this building that was going to seat 2,000. And he started praying. And the problem was, he jumped ahead of God. Twelve years later, the church was filled with 2,000 people. You see, and it's like Reading. I've left, I left this out because there is a sting in the tail. Fourteen years ago, 14 churches got together and the leaders started to pray. Fourteen years. God is not in the hurry that we are in. And of course you could go to Toronto and that again was, was not, didn't start with big hullabaloo. It was just a couple of pastors that were worn out and wanted God to do something. I, I, yeah. Do you know, sometimes you get fed up with church. You're allowed to say yes or no. All right. I do. You know, we come to church, we sit, we listen. Some's good, some's boring. And I just sometimes sit there and think, God, Come amongst us. Do something. Stir us up. One of the greatest desires I had is to experience, in a special way, the presence of God in church. He actually, the physical manifestation of the presence of God. To stir us up, to move us, to excite us, to make it all really relevant that what God has said. And really what I'm bringing this to is that how are we going to change what sometimes we find a bit dull and a bit boring? Or bring about a move of God that we've actually um, talked about here. And I believe the time has come that God is calling us as his people that are saved by grace and have had our sins forgiven to a deeper commitment to Fervent, persistent prayer. The trouble is, in church today, we have prayer meetings. But we don't actually have prayer. We don't lay hold of God in a, in a passionate, fervent way and say, God, will you come? Will you please come and bless us and move amongst us and touch us? You know, I've got a book here. 
In the Day of Thy Power, I could read lots over to this. It's written by Arthur Wallace. Um, Some of you may have heard of him. uh, But he is there saying that from a prayer point of view, prayer has got to be persistent. It's got to be uh, fervent. It's got to, you've got to lay hold on God and not let go. You know, Arthur Wallace, we discovered, uh, actually he came out of the Plymouth Brethren because he found that there was more that to discover, and it was the Holy Spirit. They had their first meeting in Exmouth, which excites us in 1952, I think, uh, with a guy called David Lilly. Uh, and the next time they had a meeting uh, in uh, Belston at Oakhampton, and then they had a meeting in Dawlish, and then they started pulling people in. And they pulled in people like Terry Virgo and Gerald Coates and Bryn Jones and um, Roger Forster. What happened? It was the start of the house church movement that started with a couple of men that sought God because they knew there was something more that God wanted them to have and to them for God to move. You know, seeds have been sown for years, still being sown. But I wonder where the harvest is. I know what Zechariah says, and people keep reminding me of this, and I'll tell you, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. But I've got to confess, I say to people, look, I am tired of small beginnings. They've been happening too often. I am, believe it or not, in 10 to 20 days' time, I am 75. Yeah, I, I didn't hear it here. A gasp <laughs> that a young-looking man like me should be so old. But I have been in the church all my life and these small beginnings never seem to become big beginnings. And I plead with God, God, I want to see you at work. I want to see you move. And I believe passionately that God is calling the church to a new commitment to prayer. And tread carefully here. I'm going to say to ladies that are uh, past, perhaps of uh, advanced years, told you I would talk to you for it, didn't I? (laughs) That sometimes we in the church make out that we're too old. That, That, you know, our time has gone. It's happened. But I am going today to say to you, and... The men go to sleep. Um, the you ladies, this is the time for you to rise up and to lay hold of God because he will answer your prayers. It's happening everywhere. People are getting together and especially... You see, it's no use you saying, I'm finished. You know, I've got another 10 years to catch up Caleb. And then there's a mountain to discover. 
So God is calling us, no matter what age, but I'm not going to leave the men out now, all the youngsters. It is a, it is a commitment I believe that God is calling us to in order that he might move. You know, the, the, the James says that the prayer of a righteous man achieves much. Well, I then multiply that up, that the prayers of many, many people achieve much, much more. And so God's saying to us, come on, come on. I like to hear your prayers. I love to hear your prayers. And I am storing them ready to release that blessing. You know, in Malachi, I know we always talk about it, that it's money, but in, in, in Malachi, it says there, bring all your tithes into the storehouse. That's the tithes. It's not just money. It's all of us. And he said, see if I will not release to you a blessing the like of which you've never, ever seen. We need to lay hold of God and say, God, is it now? Is it now? You know, revival comes when God decides. But we can easily prepare the ground. You know, there's always a bit more here, isn't it, about yeast. Do you know, I read two commentaries and they disagreed totally about yeast. One said it was about evil and one said it's about good. Um, so I've decided to look at it myself. You know, yeast apparently has got amazing qualities. That My uncle, you know, Gordon Yellen, was a baker in Tynmouth. And it was always amazing. He had this huge, great vat that flour would come down. Then they'd throw in the water and then they'd put some salt in and then the yeast. And this arm would just work it and work it like this and the next thing, this, the old um, vat would be overflowing with, um, with, well, with dough that became bread. You know, and, and Gordon Yellen's bread was often buttered but never bettered according to him. But what does this mean about this yeast? Well, if this small seed is about our commitment to sow the word of God and to lead people to Jesus that they might know him, I believe that this is the process of discipleship. You know, the, the follow-on story of Reading was, we heard the guy in Exeter earlier this year, he said, just think about it, Suddenly we've got nearly 2,000 people amongst 14 churches and God never ever told us to make Christians. He told us to make disciples. So he suddenly said, we've got 2,000 people that we've got to disciple. He said, I had a lovely Anglican friend. We sent 80-odd people to his church. In the end, he had to say, stop, stop, stop. I can't handle any more at the moment. He said, have you ever heard an Anglican pastor say, don't send any more people to my church? But that was the situation because they were committed to making disciples. And I believe discipleship is about allowing the Holy Spirit to permeate our whole being. 
to allow the word of God to dwell deep in our hearts. I believe that God is calling us not only to pray, but calling us again to be his disciples and to learn of him. You know, perhaps today God is calling you to pray more. And that's part, all of us can be involved in that calling. None too old, none too young. I'm not going to mention anything this morning about what you can do for God. Because I believe the church has worn itself out by doing things for God. And God is saying, now I believe, come and, and we'll talk a bit about this tonight, come and talk to me. Come and spend time with me. This is what God said to, um, to um, Solomon. Back in Chronicles, a, a, a verse that we've been holding on to for two years now at home, and it says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. And that's us humbling ourselves. If we don't, God will. But humble themselves and pray. And seek my face or my presence and turn from their sins. I will hear their prayer and I will hear their, heal their land. And I will listen to every prayer that is made. And so I believe that God this morning through these little um, illustrations here is calling us into that position. Where we spend more time with him. Now you might say, Peter, for goodness sake. How am I going to do that? It's down to us, isn't it? Actually, God's looking more for quality time rather than quantity time. But he wants us to seek his face. And I believe that if the Christian church in this country rose up in prayer, the prophecies that are going around at the moment, all are focused on prayer. Then I believe that God will be bound by his own character, by his own promises to move and to send a blessing upon this country. I believe he's waiting just to release that blessing. But he needs our commitment our, listen to his calling to sit at his feet and pray and pray and pray and as we pray that releases the uh, blessings of heaven because God's waiting for it to happen but boy when it comes we are so excited in Exmouth I'm sorry about painting, but it's only along the... Something might come along the coast to you, all right? 
But we are so excited in Exmouth that we believe that God is going to move. There's a bunch of us that have been praying for eight years every once a month on a Saturday night around the outskirts of Exmouth. We've seen things that perhaps God has moved in. And we believe that he's going to move. He's going to send that blessing. The church is, this is what excites me more than anything, is that the church is going to be revived. And boy, do we need to be revived. You know, they just allow the Holy Spirit to move amongst us. You know, I read and read and read again in, in that God is saying to the leaders of the churches of this country, please, please, please give me back my church. And when we give the church back to God, he allows the Holy Spirit to come in and move amongst us and, and run the church his way. And then the blessing flows. Because God sent his Holy Spirit to replace Jesus in order that we might learn of him, that we might know what it is that we need to be doing. So as you pray, pray that God would release his Holy Spirit. I believe Painton will be blessed. You know, the whole coast. There's a friend of mine that's got this picture of this great big tsunami holding off Budley, Solderton Beach, waiting. God's holding it there, which is the picture of a blessing, and that he's going to release it, and the blessing's going to flow. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll be blessed because a tsunami can't just stay in Budley and Exmouth. It'll run down the coast. So get ready, because God is up to something. That's our favorite expression. He's up to something. And one day we shall know what that is. And it's happening, going to happen soon. Because that's what he's in the business of, doing things differently. You know, there's a lovely expression in Isaiah 43 that I um, hold on to greatly. And God there says that um, I've done lots of things. I've defeated the Egyptians. I've parted the Red Sea. I've parted Jordan. And I've defeated this lot and that lot and the Babylonians, but that ain't anything to what I am going to do. I am going to do a brand new thing. And when God says a brand new thing, he means it's going to be brand new. It hasn't happened before. You know, some of our songs just have got it a little bit twisted. We, we pray for another Pentecost. We can't have another Pentecost because A, the Holy Spirit's come, and B, God doesn't do the same thing twice. But something. God is on the edge, I think, waiting, waiting, waiting for his people to be in tune with him that he might release that blessing. Father, we just want to thank you that you've saved us, you've brought us into a relationship with you, and you just call on us now to spend that time with you in persistent, fervent prayer for the move of God. Lord, our country needs it. Our neighbors need it. Our friends need it. Our families need it. 
we need for you to work amongst us. So, Father, send your Holy Spirit in power. Touch our lives. Touch our communities. Touch our country. And, Lord, if there's one thing just at this moment we need, is a touch from you. Make us willing, Father. Make us willing. Make us, help us to make that commitment that Jesus might be uplifted and glorified. Amen.